Let us pray together. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we may have a little problem this morning, and the reason is uh, I was sick this week, and I'm realizing my voice is still not where it needs to be. So, if uh, the voice goes out, just rest assured that every one of your elders will rush up here immediately and be ready to carry on. So, you're in good hands. Uh, Philippians, uh, we're studying Philippians, and this morning we're in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 26. Philippians 1, we'll begin reading in verse 12. Let us now hear and give our attention to God's Word. The Apostle Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, or maybe even better, I want you to know, my dear family, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel." The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again." This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, so far in our studies in Philippians, what we've considered, first of all, was Paul, Paul's gospel greetings. Then last week, we considered Paul's gospel prayer. And that leads us today really into the main body of this little letter to what Paul first addresses, and that is his own gospel perspective. In this passage, Paul wants us to know what he himself knew. What did he know? Well, he knew that no matter what he encountered or experienced, whether it be difficulty or deliverance, harm or help, life or death, regardless of what he faced, he knew and trusted that somehow and in some way, Jesus was at work in it. 
at work for his own glory and for Paul's good. Paul knew that no matter the circumstance, the gospel was going forward. Christ was being proclaimed, and Christ was and will be exalted. This was his gospel perspective, and it's a perspective he wants his readers then and now to make our own, so that no matter what we face, no matter what we encounter or experience, whether it be for good or ill, we might be able to join Paul in rejoicing. Rejoicing in the reality that our crucified and risen Lord is always at work. Again, always at work for His glory and for the good of His people. Now, in pondering Paul's gospel perspective, I want us to do so under two main headings. They're there in your bulletin. The first is, Christ is made known through hardship. That's verses 12 through 18a. You'll see the break there in your Bible. And then second, Christ is honored through deliverance, verses 18b through 26. So first then, Christ is made known through hardship. What was the hardship Paul's facing? He's locked up. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell. And he's possibly facing execution. And from the Philippians' perspective, what did this mean? It meant the end. For them, all they could see was that this was the end, the end of Paul's gospel mission and quite possibly the end of Paul himself. And knowing this, the Philippians, from their perspective, were anxious, anxiously wondering how anything good could come out of Paul's hardship. And knowing this was their perspective, What Paul does in this passage is he gives them his own gospel perspective on the situation, one that enabled him to see that his imprisonment was somehow part of God's strange and sovereign strategy for advancing the gospel, advancing it to a people who might not have heard it otherwise. Look look again at verses 12 and 13. I want you to know... My dear family, that what's happened to me has really served, really served to advance the gospel throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Through Paul's incarceration, what was the gospel doing? It was actually infiltrating and beginning to influence one of the most influential spheres in the Roman Empire. The Imperial Guard, which was an elite division of Caesar's own army. Through Paul's chains, the gospel, rather than being hindered, was actually unleashed into the ranks of the Roman army in a way it never would have if Paul wasn't locked up. Prison was actually a means to getting the gospel out in new and fresh ways. Therefore, from Paul's perspective... Prison was actually an ideal place for evangelistic outreach because learning that Paul was in chains, his guards would actually ask, why are you here? I am here for Christ. And then they would ask, who is Christ? Paul was all too ready to always answer that question. Friends, we often buy into the misnomer that our circumstances have to be comfortable 
in order for the gospel to be effective. And that's why we need to grasp that that God works in a different way and according to a different logic from our own, a logic where hardship isn't a hindrance to the gospel. No, it's a means to its advancement. Paul knew this, and he wants us to know it as well, to know that when we place our life in Christ's hands, that no circumstance, no hardship can bar the gospel working in us and through us. Paul may be in prison, but the gospel is never imprisoned. No thing, no situation can hinder the gospel's advancement. Now, that doesn't mean we won't wrestle with the whys and the hows of our hardship. But even then, we can trust that through our crosses, the cross of Christ is being lifted high. His good purpose will go forward, and nothing can hinder it. You believe that? Nothing can hinder it. Don't we see that today in places like China, India, and Iran? Places where the gospel is barred. Is it really barred though? No, it's infiltrating those areas as we see men and women and children bowing the knee and confessing that Jesus is Lord no matter the consequences. And friends, the gospel is still going forward in our place, in a culture that's largely abandoned Jesus Christ. And it can go forward and is going forward because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord at all times and in every situation. He's using all things. What does all things include? We're smart people. All things includes all things, everything. He's using all things at His disposal to get the word out that He is Lord, He is Savior, and He is Redeemer. Paul's imprisonment really advanced the gospel to Roman soldiers. If they believed, they would go out and continue to advance it as well. And that actually is borne out in history, in the way God worked in drawing Roman soldiers then and throughout the next 300 years or so, they came to believe in the gospel and the gospel continued to spread. But notice the gospel also advanced to and through other Christians. Verse 14, and most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Through Paul's imprisonment, formerly afraid Christians were encouraged to speak out and to show that they loved Jesus, that they were committed to his lordship, even if that meant they, like Paul, would have to endure hardship themselves. As a result of seeing Paul share, and that's what he's doing, he's sharing in Christ's sufferings through his hardship. As they saw that, and as they saw how God was using his hardship to advance the gospel, other Christians began to gain this gospel perspective. And it emboldened them to share the gospel no matter the consequences. If hardship led to an effective witness for Paul, then they and we could trust that that the Lord will do so through us as well. And knowing this, what did they begin to do? Well, notice the, the three words. They began to share the gospel confidently, 
boldly and without fear. Friends, it always takes guts to live and share the gospel. And that's why we need a faith that builds courage. Faith that firmly rests in Christ who is Lord over all things and over all situations. This is why the gospel's constant call, the continuous call of the gospel, is to fix our eyes on Christ, that we may gain and grow this gospel in this gospel perspective, remembering that the, the whole of our faith, keeping in mind that the whole of our faith is built on this truth, that through the hardship of Christ's cross, God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's peace has actually infiltrated our lives so that it might now advance through our lives. But notice here, Paul not only faced the hardship of prison. God was at work in it, but he faced the hardship of prison. What other hardship was he facing at this time? Personal attack. Personal attack. Although some began to proclaim Christ out of goodwill, they saw Paul's hardship, they saw what he endured, they began to speak the word boldly and confidence, and they did so, some did, out of goodwill. That is, out of love for Jesus and love for Paul. But others began to proclaim the gospel out of envy and selfish ambition. In other words, their motive for proclaiming Christ wasn't ultimately to advance the gospel, but to further afflict Paul. Maybe, maybe they saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to usurp his apostolic authority. Maybe they saw it as their chance to gain new positions of leadership within the church. Whatever it, it was, their main motive was to harm Paul. How did Paul respond to this? Well, he, he didn't seek to return the affliction. We don't hear that in this passage, do we? He didn't respond by attacking them. He didn't even defend himself or his reputation. Instead, what did he do? He rejoiced. Now, this doesn't mean he rejoiced in the affliction itself. It certainly doesn't mean that he rejoiced in the motives of these uh, envious preachers. No, he rejoiced that regardless of this affliction, what was happening? Christ was being proclaimed. Christ was being talked about. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This again was Paul's gospel perspective, that through his affliction, whatever it was, Christ was being proclaimed. The name of Christ was being shared. And friends, Paul's response here to these attackers actually serves as a model for us when we're attacked. Even when we're attacked by those who proclaim Christ. A perspective that we need that keeps us focused on Christ and on the chief goal of proclaiming not ourselves, but proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. As Sinclair Ferguson says, the wrong motives of bad men must never be allowed to become the determining element in our attitude to either our own lives or the fellowship of the saints. Rather, we must reserve in our hearts a sanctuary of love for Jesus Christ, a sanctuary from which everything but trust in Him 
love for him and proclamation of, of him is barred. Christ is being proclaimed through my hardship. That was Paul's gospel perspective, a perspective that enabled him to rejoice in his sufferings. Is it your perspective as well? And with that, we come to our second heading, which is Christ will be honored through deliverance. And in transitioning to this point, Paul tells the Philippians that he was not only rejoicing in his present circumstances, but that he was going to continue to rejoice in the future. Yes, and I will rejoice, and I'll do so, verse 19, because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What deliverance? Well, that's where this passage gets really interesting. And to grasp what Paul's saying, we have to follow his train of thought. You see, on the one hand, his deliverance could be referring to his potential release from prison. He says as much a little later on in verse 25 when he writes that he really believed that God would work in such a way that he'd be freed. Yet in saying this, Paul wasn't boxing God in. In other words, he's not saying that God uh, is no longer faithful if I don't get out of prison, as if God were obligated to do this. No, he's saying that in his heart and mind, he was convinced that, is, convinced that this is what God would do. But even if he wasn't released, even if he were executed, Paul says, I will still be delivered. I'll be delivered even through death. And he knows this because he belonged to the one who conquered death. In being united to Christ by grace through faith, Paul knew that even if he were executed, he would still live. That his death wouldn't be his end, but his entrance into glory, into the glory of the risen Christ. And that's why he can say that whether he lived or whether he died, he'd be delivered to the honor of Christ. Again, this was his gospel perspective. And what he does in the rest of this passage is he works out that perspective for us. And beginning in verse 21, that's where he begins to sort of work this out, when he writes, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Greek, what he says is a bit punchier. He literally says this, living Christ, dying gain. And in the rest of this passage, what Paul's doing is he's putting everything he says underneath these two headings. So imagine here for a moment two columns. One column has to live Christ. The other column has to die gain. And Paul sets these columns side by side in verse 21. And then in verse 22, he begins to explain the first column, the to live Christ column. He writes, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I get out of prison and go on living, then with my life I'll continue to engage in the fruitful work of honoring Christ and helping others honor Him as well. If I go on living, I'll continue to do the work Jesus has given me to do. Because to live as a Christian... To live in these bodies means living for Christ in every area of our lives. Do you know this? Is your life showing that you know this? Is your life showing that your confession is to live 
Christ. But then, after stating this, what does he do? Well, in verses 22b through 23, he, he writes, Yet I shall, which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. For my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. When Paul compared these two columns, to live Christ, to die gain, he says here that his deep desire was for the second, to die gain. Now, why does he want that? Because he wants to be with Christ. Because when a believer in Jesus takes their final breath, their life isn't done. No, in a real sense, it's just begun. Because in death, the believer is ushered into Christ's victorious and peace-filled presence instantly and immediately. And being with Christ in this particular way was what Paul personally desired. Now, we have to be careful when we read this and keep in mind what he's really desiring. He's not saying that he has a death wish. He's not saying he wanted to die simply for death's sake. And he certainly didn't want to die so he could just escape the world or escape his body. No, as one commentator said it, Paul wasn't choosing death as though he were rejecting life. No, he was choosing Christ. Christ whom he loved and desired. Friends, death itself isn't the gain. No, the gain is to be with Christ. In the present, Christ is physically absent from us. We know that. Even though he's personally with us by his spirit, yet at death, we're taken immediately into his presence in a whole new way. And it's only as we know this, believe this, that our attitude and perspective toward death can actually be transformed. We think about it. Death itself is painful and it's distressing. But it's not the end. In Christ, it is not the end for the Christian. Rather, it's but our entrance into glory. Death is a separation from life and loved ones, but it's no separation from Christ, who loves us so much that he himself went into death and through death in order to conquer death. And he conquered death that he might share his eternal and abundant life with us. That's why I think if Paul would have known it at the time, I think his favorite song would have been the one we sang during the offertory. Give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. Paul's deep desire was to be with Christ, whether it is death or at Jesus' return. But notice here, he doesn't end at this point. In other words, he doesn't end with the to-die gain column. Rather, he comes back to the to-live Christ column. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Here's what we're doing here. Here's what he's saying. My deep personal desire is to be with Christ. However, it's more necessary for the Philippians that he go on living What's Paul doing here? In saying it this way, he's saying to them, I am subordinating my personal desire to your need. Subordinating his desire to their needs. What he's doing here is he's counting them 
as more significant than himself. And as we'll see in Philippians, that's one of the great themes, counting others as more significant than yourself. Because as Christians, we're never to selfishly seek our own interests, even when it's a good interest. No, for Christ's sake, we're to seek the interest of others. We're to put them above ourselves. Why? Because we belong to the one who put us before himself. So yes, to depart and be with Christ was more more desirous for Paul, but it was more necessary that he remain that he'd be released from prison. And as he prayerfully pondered the situation, as he realized the needs of the Philippians, he became convinced that he would be freed from prison. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The present need of the Philippian church convinced Paul that it was God's will for him to be released so that his ministry might continue, a ministry that had as its chief aim the glory of Christ's saving name. Whether he lived or died, Paul knew he would be delivered and that that deliverance, whatever it might be, would do the very thing he desired more than anything. And that is Christ would be honored. And that's what he rejoiced in. I mean, think about it. This is a radical perspective. A radical perspective. And and the question for all of us is, is it my perspective? Is this the way I view the world? Is this the way I view my hardships, my struggles, the very purpose of my life? That Christ would be proclaimed at all times and in all places and that Christ would be honored, exalted at all times and in all places. Well, I'm going to conclude this way. Three quick points of application. How do we gain and grow in this gospel perspective? Here's the first way. We only gain and grow in it by an intentional and daily focus on our crucified and risen King, the one who himself entered into our hardship entered into our suffering, who bore it on the cross that we might ultimately be delivered. Delivered from sin, delivered from shame, and delivered from death itself. None of Christ's sufferings were ever in vain, were they? They were never in vain. And here's what's held out to you in Christ. None of your hardship and none of your sufferings are in vain either if you're in Him. He's using all things to show us that He alone can be our all in all. Whether we live or die, Christ is always at work, and we are secure. And to grow confident in this, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus every day, not just on Sunday, But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and throughout the day, our eyes must be fixed on Christ. How do we do this? Well, the central way we do it is through His Word, pondering His Word. The Scriptures are the foundation for gaining a gospel perspective. If the Word of Christ isn't dwelling in us richly, then what perspective will we have? Our own. And because our perspectives are fickle, They can't give us true confidence and conviction. 
Our perspective on our lives and the world are skewed apart from the Scriptures. So let me ask you, are you in God's Word? Daily, are you in God's Word? His Word that has this as its main plot line, that what is meant for evil, God always means for good, the good of redeeming us and of teaching us to rely on God who raises the dead who brings beauty out of ashes, and who turns shame into divine acceptance. What's your relationship with the Scriptures? Do you relate to them as a stranger, as a mere acquaintance? Or do you relate to them as a trusted friend? Trusted friend that strengthens your trust in Christ. But not only do we need to ponder God's Word, if you don't do that, start doing it today. But not only do we ponder God's Word, another way we gain in a, a gospel perspective is through prayer. That's why Paul asked the Philippians to pray for him in verse 19. Prayer is the vehicle in which we let our needs and our requests be made known to God. Prayer is the place where we lift up to Him our fears, our anxieties, and our frustrations. Lifting them up to Him because He alone can calm our anxious and restless hearts. He alone can give us His peace that surpasses all understanding. When we don't understand what God is doing, how He's at work in our hardship, whatever it may be, we're to pray. And the reality is, even in the midst of hardship, difficulty, frustration, pain, perplexity, we can still know peace the peace of His personal presence with us, which comes through whom? The Spirit. That's why Paul prays, with the help of the Spirit. We need the constant help of the Spirit. And one of the most encouraging verses in all of God's holy word is found in Luke 11, when we're told that the Father loves to give the Spirit more and more to those who ask Him. The Word and prayer. Second point, to gain a gospel perspective, to grow in it, we need one another. The Philippians were anxious. They saw this as the end. Paul's done for. What did they need? They needed a fellow Christian, Paul, to give them that gospel perspective. Just as we need one another when we're in times of hardship, difficulty, or perplexity, we need someone to come alongside us to gently, lovingly give the gospel perspective. And that doesn't simply mean lobbing verses at them. It means listening, sitting with them, having a time of silence where you may not say anything, but you prayerfully wait for the opportunity to point them to Jesus because that's who they need. They need Jesus. We want to be a church where you're known and you know others where we're a community, where we're growing in our friendship so that we can come alongside one another to help one another, remind one another of our gospel perspective that is ours in Jesus. Last point. So we need the Word. We need prayer to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need one another to remind each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then if we're going to grow in a gospel perspective, to sort of have the, the lens every time we, you know, if I can't see any of your faces right now. Put those on. Oh, there's clarity. 
Again, by myself, I don't have a very good perspective. I need glasses to see. The gospel are like those glasses put upon our eyes that we might begin to see clearly. And here's what we need to see most of all. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, by grace, through faith in him, you are deeply and thoroughly loved. That has to speak louder than the circumstances we face. I mean, there is no way for us to say with Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if we don't know we're loved. We, we can't say that. But we can if we know and believe that we are indeed loved, loved with a love that's so amazing, so divine, it demands our all, the whole of our lives given to our, to our Lord Jesus who loves us. And he does. He loves his people. He, the eternal and embodied word of God, he who is the fullness of life and joy and peace, what did he do in love? He came after us. He came after us when we were running as fast as we could from him. He lived for us. He died for us. And he came out of the tomb to root us in his love that's indeed stronger than death. To be a Christian and to have a gospel perspective means knowing that you are loved. And it's this irrevocable love of Christ that enables us to courageously confess, courageously confess, whether I live or whether I die, may Christ be honored in me. Is that your confession? Whether I live or die, may Christ be honored in me. Because you see, a gospel perspective comes through a feast of love. Christ's perfect love for us and our ever-growing love for him, knowing that if we belong to him, then nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.